There is a world out there that is as old as time itself. A world populated by billions of hideous, hateful beings, so numerous that if they took material form, they'd blot out the sun. We cannot see this world, but it can see us, and it hates what it sees. These beings don't take breaks. They don't sleep, they don't tire, and they don't ever stop looking for our weakness. So they can invite themselves in and steal your soul. The following stories are true. So is the struggle against evil. What psychics and priests call demonic, pure destructive energy, as ancient as time itself. This is the Deliver Us From Evil Tapes. Demonic. Pure destructive energy. The devil has performed his greatest trick ever. You know what his greatest trick ever is? To con useful idiots like Bishop Barron into saying, there's no such thing as hell. No, little Ben Shapiro, don't worry about it. There's no such thing as hell. Well, we know that there is a hell because our Lord told us that there was. We know that there is a purgatory because our Lord freed everyone from the purgatory and opened the gates of heaven. We know all these things that were known for thousands upon years now. How come our contemporaries don't know them? Why are our contemporaries and many of our friends running around in search of ways to commingle with demons? Oh, but they're not demons. Oh, yes, they are. No one knows more about this particular subject than my friend and yours, the host of the Deliver Us From Evil Tapes radio series, which we're working on episode number five right now, and the author of Deliver Us From Evil, the book, and the subject of the 2014 Scott Derrickson major motion picture, uh, the uh, Deliver Us From Evil, the film, my friend and yours, the one and only Ralph Sarchi. Ralph, how are you, brother? Doing well, Mike. How are you? I am well. I am well. Good. You sound well. <laughs> you sound sane. Very sane to me. In an insane world. Isn't it amazing how we're supposed to be moderns and we're supposed to know things that Knuckle Dragon, Neanderthals, a century ago didn't know, and yet when we read accounts of what they said and we listen to accounts of what other people are saying, it seems like the knuckle-dragon Neanderthals were the geniuses. Well, it, it seems that uh, with, with the amount of intelligence that we have in this world, uh, they seem to be the scholars and uh, we should be the students, actually. Uh, you know, it's it, the the access to too much information is not uh, is not really that good. You know, I've always said that if 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 when I was a kid I had access to the internet, I'd be a genius uh, today because I used to have to run to the library if I wanted to learn something, and then I'd have to deal with uh, Dewey Decimal, you know, <laughs> and, and get the book and take it out of the library, bring it home and read it. 
today the information is right at the fingertips, and there's a lot of disinformation out there that people are swallowing hook, line, and sinker like the useful idiot that says that the devil isn't real. He's very real. Now, before I bring Sean on, I wanted you to, because I've uh, talked, I've talked to a couple of people uh, about something you said last week, and it stuck with all of us. So I just want to catch people up on this, and maybe Sean hasn't heard it either. And that is, you said something that was uh, really profound, and that is that the devil kind of operates. We have the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which all Catholics know. Uh, and every time you sign yourself, you know, you're saying, you're acknowledging the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. But there is an equal, or not equal, but a similar and un Holy Trinity um, uh, that acts in a, in, in a similar way. And uh, you, you kind of described it as one being Satan, one being maybe Lucifer, and the other one being uh, the devil. So uh, I just thought that was a really good place to start because several people asked me about it. They said, man, I'd never heard that before. Can you get Ralph to talk a little bit more about that? I said, well, it'll be the first thing that I'll ask him. Well, um, what I gave you last week is pretty much all I know about it. Uh, I spoke to Father. Father Martin is the one who, Father Malachi Martin, don't confuse him with that other, you know, um, thing running around out there in, in, uh, in a collar. Uh, you know, he, he even said to me that, you know, we don't know much about this, but he enlightened me to the fact that, uh, you know, Lucifer, the devil, and Satan are two separate or, or three separate individuals, uh, you know, like God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three separate individuals in one. Lucifer is going to mimic uh, what God does, but in the reverse, in the reverse order. Um, like the things that, uh, like the the things that the devil is responsible for would be considered miracles in reverse. Okay. Um, so it's, it's just, it's, it sort of fits into everything as far as the faith is concerned. We're a mirror image of, of heaven. And, you know, it, it's, it's reversed when you look into a mirror. So uh, it, it's that concept. Now, the mysteries of faith is that, you know, uh, we have three separate beings that are one. Um, it's a mystery, and really nobody can explain it. So that goes the same for, you know, this theory of the devil uh, and Satan and Lucifer being three distinct beings, but one. So... Um, I've pondered it, and uh, I've pondered the mysteries of the faith as far as the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, and uh, I haven't been able to come up with any kind of, uh, you know, explanation for it. So uh, I, I can't possibly put, uh, you know, the unholy Trinity into more of a, a, a light. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good, no, that's a good explanation. You know. Let me just uh, add to this that uh, some of the people that uh, I was talking to about the unholy trinity, they also brought up to me, and uh, I haven't gone in search of them yet, but I'm going to, 
for uh, the, the next set of Deliver Us from Evil Tapes. And that is, uh, you know, Father Martin, Father Malachi Martin is a, is, a, is a figure that we don't know near enough about. Now, you knew him. Um, and I was, I, I was told, I said, man, you got to go back. If, if, if you go back into the uh, late 70s, early 80s, you'll, you'll find old episodes of William F. Buckley's firing line where uh, that Father Martin is being brought on on the firing line to basically, you know, sit there across from some novelty, uh, novelty uh, vomiting up quasi, uh, quasi Catholic who's spouting a bunch of stuff. And maybe even Buckley himself, and there's Father Martin there on, on the TV show Firing Line doing battle with these guys. Seems to me that Father Malachi Martin, and every time I hear of Father Martin, he's always doing battle on behalf of the faith. Well, that's, that's what he was all about. You know, um, he, he was instrumental in, in leading me uh, to the path that I'm on today, you know, I don't have any doubt about that. You know, his his insights and his prophetic um, talkings or writings are pretty much coming to fruition today. Yes. The only thing that Father Martin uh, was very, very hazy on was time frame. You know, and I've said this a thousand and one times, is that it's simply because in the spirit world there is no time frame. You know, um, at the end of this world, when it's all over, there is no more time. Uh, it's eternity, and that's it. There's nothing else. So uh, he he was always, you know, he can sort of give an idea of certain things, you know, um, when to look for them. But he, he didn't know time frame. But you can see through um, through the the things that are happening today to, to try to at least figure out where we might be in relation to you know the end times the second coming of Jesus because that's to me the second coming of Jesus is it there isn't anything else um, you know that's that's the ultimate for me that's the end game right there so er- everything in between, is, you know, we don't know where we are. Will, will I actually see the Antichrist uh, come to power? I don't know. It's possible. But I, I don't know for sure. Now, but right, the way things are going, maybe it's a very good possibility. Now, Ralph is talking about Father Malachi Martin, not Slim Jim Martin. Uh, as as I heard Taylor Marshall describe him to me, Ralph. Let, Ralph, let me bring in uh, Sean Austin, who is also on the uh, telephone uh, with us. And we're going to talk about one of your cases and some uh, that you guys work together on, and some other things. Um, Sean, your first trip here to the Mike Church Show here on the Crusade Channel, the last live radio station standing. Glad you were able to find the time, brother. How are you? Good. How you doing? I am well. I'm really good. Um, so I had to go back and, and rewatch all three episodes of the Demon Files, so I would know that I uh, who, who I was talking to because I know Ralph because I've talked to Ralph dozens and dozens, but I've never talked to you. So mm-hmm. um, the uh, one of the episodes that we're going to talk about uh, when we make it into the radio uh, version of it, I uh, I'm going to call it Lizard Lizard on the Wall, and it's the Demon Files episode um, where where you guys went into uh, Leanne Bosworth's house. 
and ultimately determine that there was this mirror that had been left there uh, from a previous uh, from a previous occupant. But I, I was going to tell the uh, to, to to talk to you about this, Sean, about um, uh, this thing that you saw in that house. But before them, because I like to get the, the uh, I like to get the terms straight. So I don't want to call you a paranormal investigator. <laughs> I don't want to call you a demonologist <laughs> or, or a medium or anything. So what should we refer to you as? I mean, obviously, I do investigate the paranormal. I mean, being taught by Ralph, I've been taught how to be a demonologist. Um, so I guess I play a little bit of the face card of a few things. But most importantly, I, I want to be able to help people and souls through, you know, spirituality in every single way that I can. Um, that's the most important part that I like to bring to the forefront. Okay. <clears throat> now, I want to, uh, uh, Ralph, you good with that? Yeah, you know, I, I consider uh, Sean a demonologist. Okay. Uh, because he approaches it from a religious point of view. He's he's not... He doesn't approach it just from a scientific point of view. And, and I would consider paranormal investigators, uh, you know, a, a form of uh, science. Then, you know, uh, years ago, we used to call them parapsychologists. Right. And the only parapsychologists that I knew of were actually people from universities, uh, you know, from colleges. And uh, it, it just seemed to have exploded where, you know, anybody with a tape recorder can now, uh, you know, uh, become a paranormal investigator by going into uh, locations and, and, and getting EVPs uh, with technology you know, um, we become more sophisticated. Um, but I would consider anyone who approaches this from a religious point of view, um, and not, not a paranormal investigator, but more of a demonologist. And you know what, it's, it's just a, we have people out there that are just too title crazy. You know, they, they want to <laughs> attach a title to their name. And, right. um, the only reason why I consider myself a demonologist is because when I would do interviews and, when you know when I got into the uh, the public eye, they would say, "Well, what do we call you?" And and I did. I wanted to, to distinguish myself from the paranormal, uh, you know, aspect uh, because basically, you know, um, it's when you're dealing with the demonic, you have to deal with it from a religious point of view. Uh, the, the name, the term demonology has a negative connotation to it, you know, unless uh, people know who you are and they understand where you're coming from. You know, religious demonologist is even a, a better title for, you know, for this type of field. Okay. Um, so, Sean, I wanted to, uh, um, I, I wanted to, to start the day off with, I want to. I want to describe a show that uh, now you guys, the Demon Files, was on Destination America, right? Yeah, correct. Okay, so there's a new show that's on the Travel Channel, which is its sister channel. I don't know if you, it doesn't matter if you, if you're familiar with it because I'm going to describe something that happened on it. I just want to get your comments on it. Um, it's called a haunting, and I think it's on the Travel Channel. Have you have you seen either one of you? I know Ralph doesn't bother with watching this kind of stuff on TV, but Sean, maybe you're familiar with it. Well, obviously, I mean, before I even got involved in the paranormal field to any level, 
Um, those are the types of documentaries that I would watch. And to be honest with you, it really fascinated me. And I really brought such validity to the people that were telling their stories. I, I was very interested and I believed in what these people were experiencing. And, and it drew me into the fascination of it before I got involved. Um, so I actually do like some of those stories. It helps us be aware of the type of scenarios that could take place for people when they experience all these different diversified types of hauntings. Okay. So <clears throat> there's a particular story that, and I just watched this about 10 days ago. And, uh, I think it was the debut of this, uh, the, uh, a haunting show on the travel channel. And I, my, my wife and I watched this and I went, that's what Ralph is talking about. When he talks about how people don't want to deal with the occult and with demons from a religious point of view. And it's also, that's what happens when you don't, when you have people running around going, there's no such thing as the devil. And instead, all we have are these friendly Casper, the friendly ghost running around. So briefly, I'm just going to describe the setup for this. So... This couple, uh, this man and his wife, they're living in a, oh, actually, they're a fiance. Uh, they're soon to be man and wife. They're living in a house with her adult daughter. She's a, she's a teenager, probably around uh, the age of, the, um, of Lily and Wartrace by the time you guys get to Wartrace. And she's a doll collector, and she, she's always looking for weird, strange dolls. So they go to a curio shop or a collector shop, and in a wooden container that has a lock on it, uh, they're wondering what's in this wooden container. Why is it on this shelf? And maybe there's something because the guy shakes it and he's, well, there's something inside. But he can't see what's in it. <clears throat> now, they're looking for dolls. So he takes a uh, knife out. He opens the door. He finally uh, jimmies the door open, if you will. And lo and behold, inside there is this hideous, ugly, ugly ass doll. And they bring the uh, they bring the doll to the to the counter uh, to the counter uh, with the box, and they ask the lady who's behind the uh, behind the counter, said this was locked in this box. You know, we got the we kind of opened the box. We don't want the box. We want the doll. Can we buy it? And the woman that's in the store goes, ooh, ooh there's a bad history with that doll. You know, someone died. There was a fire. And they're like, uh, so they listen to the story. I'm not going to bore you with the story. They go ahead and they buy the doll and they bring it home. Okay, it's the fir first day that they had the doll in the house, weird stuff starts to happen. Banging, you know, that infamous knocking that you guys talk about in your case, really loud thumping. They can't find any other. Somebody's at the front door, but there's not someone at the front door for it at 3.33 in the morning. Uh, duh, right? But they don't get it. I'm going, it's 3.33, you idiot. So... Come to find out, the guy starts the, the the family starts getting scared because the daughter was accosted by some kind of spirit entity while she's taking a shower. So they install surveillance cameras in the house. Now this is the freakiest thing that I've ever seen in real life. They actually have the grandkids come over, okay, and the 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 the, the dad who is a guy that's dabbled in paranormal investigation. He said that's what he says. Him and his wife both wearing these uh, quartz crystals around their necks, right? She's got a purple one, and he's got a white one, or she has a white one, he has a purple one. I'm not really, I don't remember. They're showing this scene where the surveillance camera has picked this up, where he's at a computer desk with his back to the bed. The kids are laying on, a, on are sitting on the bed watching television, and the little boy says, hey, and, the, and they've named the doll. They called the doll Norman. 
And the little boy says, hey, uh, Dad, uh, Grandpa, Norman wants to watch TV with us. Can he? So they, uh, uh, the dad says, yeah, yeah, sure. So they take the doll off the shelf. They put it on the bed, and they stick it to the back of the bed up against a pillow. You can plainly see the doll. Okay. What happens next is something that I've never seen anything like. The doll turns his head. And it's not a doll whose head is on a swivel. The doll turns his head, looks at the dad, and then makes something fall in the other room so the dad has to get up and investigate. And then when he comes back, the doll has done something to the kids, and they're screaming. So uh, after this, they go back and they watch the video, and they determine then that the doll is now has the, the, the soul of an infant who died in a fire uh, and that was the horrible incident that had been described, that the mother was pregnant with twins, and she lost one of the twins uh, during childbirth. Um, uh, but the theory from the paranormal people is that the kid never left. You know, he stayed in the house, and because he wasn't getting attention, he burned the house down, and he killed the mother. And the, the girl survived, but the mother died. So these two decide that what the doll, because the, 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 the haunting continues, Sean and Ralph. And so these two determine that what, what, the, what, what the, the now grown-up soul needs, and it's acquired all this knowledge from having you know, been attached to this doll, what it now needs is a home. So they take their spare bedroom in, make it into a home for a, like a 10, 12-year-old boy, call it Norman's room, and put the doll in there and lock him in. Now, this thing is walking around in the room. It's good surveillance footage of shadows walking around in the room. So my thoughts from knowing Ralph and from watching you guys' TV show is, um, it seems to me to be something that's passing itself off as a ghost, but probably isn't. Um, and I thought that uh, there was not a touch of religious... Uh, yeah, it was. They brought another paranormal person in there to to do some incantation with the doll, which um, I thought was a mistake too. But there was not a hint that there was anything demonic, anything evil. You know, just a little boy who didn't get his mama and was angry. So I just thought we could start with that kind of discussion. Uh, but this is the world in which we live in, guys. Right. Well, I mean, I'm sure Ralph would agree. I mean, the tall tale signs to me, the similarities of the story of obviously the infamous Annabelle doll. I mean, you know, these people, the the mother bringing the Annabelle doll into this daughter's, you know, apartment with her friends and the roommates from a flea market. And once again, you know, weird things start happening and they bring a psychic in who tells them that it's a little girl who drowned and her name was Annabelle. Of course, they want to, you know, evil spirits will want to associate with the most innocent creatures of us all as a children's scenario, a tragedy that took place when in fact they're really just tactically figuring out a way how to thrive and get that acknowledgement from human beings so they can get that level of energy in the process and then start to, you know, create potentially the infestation, the demonic infestation, oppression, ultimately possession. And, um, you know, that's, that's just the dangerous delicate, delicate nature of, you know, dealing with that thing. And obviously giving a, a room and calling it Norman's room and giving it birthday parties and all this other garbage is like that level of acknowledgement, which is like beyond ridiculous. But, you know, they can uh, psychologically and spiritually, emotionally influence all these people to just feel the um, sympathy towards the story when they start thinking it's, it's a little child or whatever like that. But I mean, like, it's just, it's just crazy, but it's really important how to know how these things can manipulate um, from the shadows, um, to 
some of these objects and the history that they're involved with. Would you Would you agree, Ralph? Or yeah, yeah, yes. Um, well, if if you if you look. If you look at the very first interaction between the devil and and human beings, which would be Eve in the garden, he, the devil didn't take the form of uh, of a devil. He took the form of a of a snake, which basically was one of the most sublime animals in the garden, and he incited imaginations in Eve before he actually approached her. So it's the same tactic uh, being used till today because it was so effective, um, you know, back with the the first two human beings. So if it's effective, then why would the devil actually give it up? The problem is is the lack of faith and and knowledge of, of faith. It's the lack of spirituality that gives him such an easy ability to to get the invitation into people's lives. And once he gets in there, the only thing that gets him out, uh, in the case of, of uh, you know, an act of haunting, is exorcism. And that is a religious right. Uh, and it's the only thing that's effective. Uh, you know, you could bring in a shaman and he can dance on the ceiling. And it's, <laughs> it's not going to leave. You know, um... So you you can see how the devil actually works in people's lives, and, and ignorance is one of his tools. And there's a lot of ignorance out there, ignorance of, of uh, you know, the relationship that we're supposed to have with God um, that will stop these demonic spirits from actually being able to become active in people's lives. And uh, this is just the world that we live in, and these are the things that are going to take place. So um, uh, just a follow-up question to, to both of you. In the absence of any acknowledgement that there's uh, that this is, in fact, a demon that's now passed himself off as his boy um, and has now found his way into the home, um, is, there, uh, is there something else that someone asked me when I described this case to them? Um, in your experience, is there any truth to the, um, or is, or do you have any experience with, you know, if you invite one of these things in, um, uh, you've then yourself kind of like opened the portal, uh, uh, like in the, in the vampire fiction books, right? Uh, the vampire, if it knocks on your window, he can't come in unless you go, oh, come on in. They even made a movie. The, 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 the first version was, I think, uh, was, 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 was filmed in, Nor- in Norwegian, and it's called Let Me In. And it, and it just follows this legend of you got, it has to be invited in. Ralph, any truth to the, uh, to, to, to the invitation to be let in? Well, uh, yeah, but vampires... In in the sense of Hollywood, you know, is is just uh, is a fiction. But you know, where do you think the creator of these types of movies get this stuff from? It's from reality. There's there's reality based in in a lot of these movies that you see. It's just you know taken in, in a different context. But that is. The first stage of diabolical activity is the invitation. The problem that, uh, you know, 
uh, Sean and I run into a lot is sometimes the people that are being affected by it weren't actually the ones who invited it in. You know, it just it's there before the, the you know the folks uh, start to deal with it. Most most of the time, it's in uh, you know it's in a home, in an infestation setting, and it's not it's not a demonic possession setting. Uh, that stage usually comes along uh, later. But in the same vein, I've dealt with cases where there was no infestation, uh, no external oppression, and we have a possession, and we don't know why that happens. It's Sometimes it's a little difficult to go back in people's lives to pinpoint one moment in time when they uh, opened themselves up and, and created that invitation. It's a little difficult doing that the same thing with this doll to really know you know why this doll is is a contact object because that's what it is uh, we would have to uh, know about every owner of that doll right you know um, and and what has been done you know what was the intention that created this contact object because it always needs to be an intention. And when you invite something, that's an intention. You have an intention of inviting it. And there's only one thing that you have to remember with this, is that God has to allow it. So you can do all the inviting you want, and nothing can happen, because God will not allow it. Why he allows it, I don't have the answer to that question. You know, so... um, at the end of time, we'll know all of the answers to these questions. But right now, uh, I couldn't give you an answer as to why he would allow that to happen. Sean, anything to add? Well, it's funny you, you bring up the vampire subject because I, I bring up vampire movies a lot when it talks about, for me personally, when I discuss with people, when it um, comes down to faith. Um, because I think about, metaphorically speaking, when you watch a vampire movie, think about all the times when someone would put a crucifix up in front of a vampire and they would recoil for about a split second or two and get, you know, turned off and scared, but then all of a sudden starts to laugh and then says, you got to have faith. And I always compare that to a lot of people because I'm like, you know, you can wear, you know, 20 blessed medals all over your body and, and go to church all the time, but if you really don't have true, genuine faith and believe in fact and notion breathe um, that God is more powerful than any evil spirit and your faith is, is not going to protect you. I mean, you know, that's a really important element that I actually bring in. I talk about when it comes to, you know, vampire movies. Um, but yeah, the invitation, obviously, just like Ralph said, intent is such a profound element when it comes to everything in the paranormal, how we involve ourselves and what we want to do to help people on that side of the spectrum, but also when it comes to people who are ignorant and don't know what they're doing and end up inviting in dark spirits, um, just like, you know, obviously with this doll and other dolls that have, you know, and, and contact objects that people have invited into their home. It's, it's almost like it's, it's a walking portal, but it's really, it's a walking invitation. So once it's in a location, it has permission to just automatically be a demonic infestation if it legitimately is a demonic um, entity. So um, if you two were dealing with this, the investigation would then go back into the history of the owners of the doll. Um, and that's something that, uh, in this particular show, they only went back one generation and didn't pry any more into it. 
But uh, as I'm watching it, I'm going like, oh, dude, you got to find out who, where this thing was made. You have to find out, you know, who was the first person to purchase it. Um, um, there really is a uh, almost a uh, um, a police work like element to this, which is um, kind of where I wanted to go next with this. My uh, very special guest today on the Deliverers from Evil tapes, episode number six here, the live version, are uh, Ralph Sarchi, who is the subject of the 2014 film Deliverers from Evil and the book by uh, that he wrote uh, many many years ago called Deliverers from Evil as well, and Sean Austin, who was on the Demon Files. With Ralph, uh, the TV show that was on Destination America, Sean, if you don't mind my uh, my, my my asking, um, just tell the audience just a little bit about maybe how you and Ralph came uh, to be together on the Demon Files. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was actually doing a radio podcast myself at the time. Um, I got started, you know, getting involved in the paranormal and started meeting some people online. And I, it, you know, I, I, it seemed like a calling to me, people recommended to get on radio and start, you know, talking with people. And it was a really great opportunity for me because, um, I wanted to learn as much as I could. And when you bring people on the show, we can all synergistically learn from each other. I mean, we all have amazing experiences and I was able to get some really interesting guests on, you know, my radio podcast. And it was like months before Deliver from evil came out and I invited Ralph on. Um, and we ended up being on the phone for a couple hours, getting into a theological, uh, deep conversations that, you know, Ralph is very good at. Um, and he invited me to come on some, <laughs> some, uh, <laughs> some cases. And I was like, Oh my compliment, Sean. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, being a spiritual person is getting you getting into deep conversations is it's, it's part of our passion. Cause we're talking, we can go so deep into, you know, what we think and, theoretically come up with with when it comes to our faith and our experiences so it's, it's we could talk about it for hours all of us myself ralph and i'm sure oh, all can, the other people that are truly passionate about it i can do it uh, <laughs> i've had conversations that have lasted hours with ralph um and uh, i loved every single one of them so now now that we that we got the band back together here so to speak i want to take you to Back to 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, New York, as I say in my real radio announcer voice on <laughs> Deliver Us From Evil tapes. Sean, what got you, uh, were you doing this for a TV show or for your podcast? Why did you start going back to 112 Ocean Avenue, the infamous uh, Amityville house, Amityville Horror so House? I, I live stream on an application called Periscope. Yep. And, I, you know, it's really amazing because uh, I actually published my first book last year. It's called Shadow Chaser. And, oh, um, okay. again, my, uh, my approach to the paranormal, I've always, I go into, I like to show people how I respect souls. And I always um, are willing at any given moment to try to pray for souls um, to cross over and go into heaven. I always show that respect. And I think it's important to show really good positive elements from my religious um, approach to um, the paranormal to show the good side because there's a lot of people that don't know what they're doing and just you know treat it like an amusement park and that's where the ignorance uh, levels start coming in at a right, right. Um, bad level. Um, so I went there just to show people on Periscope and um, you know I, I actually was at the house but I actually went to the grave site where the family was buried first and I went there and I asked if there was any family members that were still lingering there um, and if I could. Um, you know, pray for them. Um, cause you think about it, it's such an amazing, interesting, fascinating, unexplained, um, case. I mean, it's one of the most infamous out of all the cases out there, um, 
since this has all began. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, it, what's interesting is that I got the name John back, and I didn't know at the first, you know, 10 minutes of what was happening. It, it, it responded, John. And then all of a sudden, I realized that, you know, the infamous picture that one of the photographers for the Warrens took in the house, there was a picture of a little boy. A little boy. Like, now, yeah, and people actually think it looks most like John. So I thought that was a little strange. And um, and I actually um, asked if there, you know, if there was an evil spirit that was responsible for making Ron do that, and it actually responded with a demon name. So I proceeded to go back in my car, and I put my spirit box on, and this little boy's spirit started responding to me and saying, it's me, John. Now, obviously, you got to be objective about that, and you think, of course, it could be disguising itself as a little um, child. And this is actually where I, I had asked Ralph about this, because it was a curious um, thing for me, because I said, John, you know, can I pray for you? And the little boy said, pray for me, help me. And this question that I had actually asked Ralph, because I was curious, is like, would a demonic spirit ever ask for you to pray in any instance for any reason whatsoever? And I think, um, well, Ralph actually agreed to me that would never be the case. Um, so, I said a prayer. Go ahead. I was going to say, so Ralph, uh, were you there for this or were you, were you there for the second time he went with the periscope? No, well, uh, Sean is a frequent flyer to my house, and I love having him. He's, <laughs> as a matter of fact, he was supposed to come here yesterday, and he couldn't yeah. show up. So I was, uh, you know, a little disappointed because, uh, you know, Sean has got a, a very good head on his shoulders. And um, he was here one night, and uh, he says, hey, listen, I got this new spirit box. I want to go to Amityville. You want to go with me? And I'm like, hell no, I don't want to go there. And he goes, well, Sean, no, I'm, you're I'm coming over my house my... so we can play with the devil? <laughs> <laughs> so he says, I'm going to go there myself before I go home. And I'm like, no, nah, you're not going by yourself. We went. And I'm glad that I did because um, I, I believe that I, I let you know, Mike, what transpired um, with that particular uh, time. We were a couple of houses. What were we about? Two houses away, Sean parked yeah. on the mm-hmm. side. And that spirit box didn't shut up for the whole time we were there. But there was this one particular voice that kept coming through, the voice of a little boy. And I mm-hmm. think that one of the most profound things that happened that night is um, it was later in, in the evening as you know we were there for a while. And I had said, the picture of that little boy, John, is that you? And maybe about uh, three or four, maybe five seconds later, that same voice came back and said, that isn't me. Now, that's what we consider a class A EVP, a class A EVP. It responded intelligently to a question that was posed to it. So, um... Another question that was asked was, what keeps you in that house? And that voice came back and said, trap. He was trapped. Correct, Sean? Am I right yeah, or am I wrong? I, I believe so, yeah. So, uh, I, By the way, if I can jump in here, uh, Sean, yeah. the next day, the, the next day, Ralph Sarchi said, my phone is blowing up. He's Mike, you got to go get this thing called Periscope, and you got to get this thing that Sean, <laughs> Sean and I did. And then, Ralph, you gave me the time code. You said, go to 57 minutes, watch it from there, and then go to an hour 18 and watch it there. So I 
Folks, I can verify this. Uh, I've actually seen and heard with my own ears what they're talking about. I just wanted to, uh, to drop that in. Uh, Sean, is it still available on Periscope? Can people still go and watch that? Yeah, I believe it's there. And I actually wanted to go back really quickly, too, before we um, talk about what transpired the, the last part of that while we were there with Ralph, is that after I went there that initial day, was, I think it was about a year or two, it was right around this time, too, it was in the summer. And um, I, for about two or three weeks after, after I prayed for the kid, because I, when I was at the grave site, I prayed for the kid. And then I went to the house, and the kid's voice still was coming through. I have never experienced a child's voice in the same tone and everything. It, it, the responses, there must have been 20 responses of this little kid constantly come through. I've never experienced that. It's so rare to have the same voice coming in maybe two or three times alone, but like that many times blew me away. But I prayed, and, you know, i got to say, for the next— I wanted to write about this in my next book as I'm working on my second book because it was really just really strange. So within the next two to three weeks, I started to have really strange Amityville synchronicities. I'm looking at the clock, 3.15 all the time, and uh, I guess it was a few nights after I went to the house, I had this vivid dream that I was walking into the Amityville house and um, I saw on the top of the stairs, there were three shadow figures. And I was yelling out them, if John's here, you let him go in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget this big piano lifts up in the middle of the air and gets thrown at me. And as soon as the piano hit me, my whole body jolted in my bed. And I woke up and I saw this black mist go through my ceiling. Oh, it was 3.15 in the morning. And, um, I continuously had the next week I was somewhere in an investigation and it was referencing Amityville. It said the demon's name that was responsible for the thing, a growl. And I was with this girl in Connecticut and out of nowhere, these, these flies started flying around me out of nowhere at the same exact time. Um, it was actually while I was live on Periscope. And, um, once again, I was just, I was looking at the clock three fifteen all the time. And then I had another dream. I saw a black dog in the annual house barking at the wall and all the clocks just started dinging at 3.15 in the morning. I woke up and saw a black thing go through my ceiling and it was 3.15 in the morning. I was constantly having this crazy, creepy stuff. One of the creepiest ones was I was in my bed and I literally... I was looking over the Amityville house as if I was in the air. I was looking down at it and I could just hear thousands of flies buzzing in my ear. It was very just just unsettling to say the least. Obviously they didn't like me praying for that kid. And by the time that I went back there with Ralph, you know, that's why I had asked him that question. I'm like, you know what, this kid might need help. I mean, if it, he agreed with me that no demonic spirit would ever ask to pray and bring anyone closer to God. And when we went there, we, that's what we were astounded by um, this kid asking for help and responding to us. And what, you know, Ralph ended up, you know, saying a mass for him. Correct, Ralph? Well, uh, we were there on a Saturday night, and and that Sunday, the next day, I was at mass, and I I offered I offered the mass of my communion up for that soul of that little boy. And uh, you know, I think we went back there a, a few weeks later, and that voice did not come through anymore. So I'm really hoping that uh, you know he was freed up. But the point that I wanted to make is that over the years, I've you know I, I've heard theories that the demonic can actually trap human souls on this earth. And I didn't quite believe that, you know, um, I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but after that, 
you know, after speaking uh, to to this spirit through the voice, uh, the spirit box, um, I, I've now changed my opinion on that, and I do believe actually that demonic can actually trap a soul uh, if God allows it. Of course, and why that happens, I don't know. You know, he was uh, what was he about six years old when this happened? Yeah, six or eight. Uh, it's something about uh, yeah, around that age. He was a young kid. You know, I wouldn't, wouldn't suspect this little boy as being a big mortal sin. You know, uh, doer. Um, so why why that would happen, I don't know. But it was pretty clear to me that we were uh, we were speaking to the soul of, of of an innocent little boy in that house, and it just affected me to the point where. You know, I, I knew I was going to do what I did on on Sunday because you know I'm I can't get into that house. The family they got to call me. You know, I'm not going to knock on their door and say, "Hey, I don't solicit cases." So it's a little frustrating to know that I'm uh, less than ten minutes away from that house. You know, and I, and I would love to to get in there and and uh, and get that thing out of there uh, if you know it's God's will, but. So, you know, I did the next best thing like Sean does. We pray for the souls. The motive has to be pure. Um, when you communicate with spirits, which is a sin, but the sin is actually in the motivation of self-gain. Um, you know, Sean and I do this. Well, Sean does it more than me because I, I never went that route. But for the demon files, it's sort of, uh, you know, I had to travel down that road. And I thought long and hard about it. And, you know, to communicate with the spirit world, it should not be for personal gain. That's where the, the sin is. That's where the downfall lies. But if you're doing this uh, in the motive of helping another human being, then, I, you know, I don't see where, you know, you can go wrong except for actually communicating with something that is a lot smarter than we are much more powerful than we are. Um, and our only protection is in the Lord. And if you don't have that, I don't suggest that you, you know, you do this. Like Sean said, if, if you want to treat it as an amusement park, go out to, uh, you know, Disneyland and go ride some rides. You get more out of it than <laughs> you know, uh, going in and breathing in all kinds of crap. Uh, you know, and, and the possibility of falling through some floor into the basement <laughs> in an abandoned building somewhere where you're not helping anyone do anything, you know. Um, so these these little activities, they have a purpose, but as long as your motivation is, is, is uh, pure and you're not looking for self-gain, you know, uh, you're pretty much would be protected in a situation like that. You uh, know, um, I sleep like a baby, Sean. I don't know. I don't really have bad dreams, so I, maybe we should talk <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the voice of Ralph Sarchi, the uh, the author of the uh, the book "Deliver Us from Evil" and the subject of the film. Uh, deliver us from evil, and then, of course, here on uh, the Crusade Channel, the subject of uh, my uh, uh, my uh, host and co-host, I guess, of the Deliver Us from Evil tapes, the series uh, on line one, on line two, Sean Austin, who I didn't know had a book out called Shadow Chaser, which we must look into, and is working on another book 
I want to stay on the, the subject of Amityville for just a moment, guys, if, if I can. Um, and they just asked the, the, both of you the same question uh, and to get a take on it. Is it your then, uh, I don't want to say your opinion, your educated uh, um, conclusion, if you will, based on what you know about the case. And Sean, I don't know if you noticed, but Ralph and I did a, uh, a, a pretty lengthy series on Amityville. We went all the way back to the Indian burial ground as much as we could find out about it. I still have my Ralph Sarchi joke about uh, Ed, Ed Warren had something and Ralph has goody garlic or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we found Ed, Ed, Ed has Hannah Crana. Yeah. I got goody garlic. Right. And Sean, <laughs> in our investigation, uh, in the historical part of the investigation, I turned up stuff that no one had ever turned up before. For example, in the 19th century, these, uh, these people that were called spiritists, the spiritists uh, began on Long Island. And uh, one of the places where they did spiritist seances was uh, either near or in Amityville. And one of the spirits that they conjured up, it's in the first episodes of the, of the, the Deliverance from Evil tapes, was the, uh, the ghost or a demon plane. Uh, actually, Ralph said, no, that's a demon plane, George Washington, I think. It's a demon plane, George Washington. Um, and then from the spiritists, you know, there are other, uh, there's other strange things that were happening in the town of, uh, uh, of Amityville. There was also, if you go back, I don't know, uh, Sean, I know Ralph knows, uh, do you, do you remember the, the Lou Gentili show? No, I do not. Okay. It's a radio show, kind of like an art bell show. I think he broadcasts out of New York. Uh, for many, many uh, years. Philadelphia, I believe. Oh, is it Philadelphia? Okay, Ralph. I believe it was Philadelphia, yeah. And so Lou, Lou Gentili interviewed the Warrens many times. He interviewed um, um, uh, Lee Lutz, who was uh, obviously the, 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 the book, The Amityville Horror, comes from the experience of the Lutz family. And he interviewed Lee uh, four times before Lee died of cancer. Um, and in one of the episodes, he interviewed Lee and, uh, Mrs. Warren while Elaine was there. Uh, and I went back and listened to these and, and listened to some of the things that happened. And I did a little investigation. Um, the Amityville house was not a house that was perfectly peaceful. Uh, as, uh, as all the critics say, uh, nothing had ever happened there before. As Lee pointed out, that's a lie. Every family that ever lived in that house went in there, married, all left divorced. Two families that went in there uh, as successful business people left out of there bankrupt. So there is always tragedy going on in that house. Do you two think that there's still whatever happened at 112 Ocean Avenue on October the 13th, 1974? Does this, do you think it's still there? I definitely yes. think that there's a yeah. spiritual stain there. Absolutely. I mean, considering what I experienced, and I never even went in that freaking house, I mean, I, I was astounded at the amount of crazy weird things happening to me when i went there i mean it's yeah there's not even a question ralph i mean, I, 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 I mean obviously with the people living there we think about i mean right ralph when there's some people that are just energy killers where like they might you know the you know the energy might just be pushed away or tucked away but they're either in denial of what they're experiencing little things that happen in the house or it's something else but absolutely there's something still there well, you know, a lot, a lot of cases like that will go dormant because not too far from the Amityville house is the original Poltergeist house. Um, Poltergeist uh, 
that case didn't take place in California. It took place here on Long Island. That's right. In in Seaford, actually. So it's it was it's actually it's it's not too far away from that house. It's a few miles. Um, these these hauntings they just don't go away on their own. They, it, there needs to be an exorcism, uh, a minor exorcism in these homes to cast those demons out. They just don't leave on their own. They'll go dormant uh, in the in the matter of not creating an infestation uh, situation or an oppression. But there's definitely uh, obsession going on in these locations. These demons will, you know, uh, pull back and they won't act. They won't act out. I believe that it also has to do with the people that are living there. As far as you know, you you can have uh, two people that aren't involved in the occult. Uh, you know, they they don't do anything wrong. They lead nice moral lives of integrity, but the demonic is still going to mess with them. And then you have people like the DeFeos with the drug use, uh, abuse and, and the violence and uh, the temperament of, of, the, of the family will actually bring out more uh, activity in the home. And it, it's also said that Lee Lutz was involved in the, in the occult prior to even moving into that house. So that doesn't make for a good uh, combination as far as, you know, the the negativity that's in the house and the family that uh, actually move in has a lot to do with it. Well, I'll just add one more thing before Sean, you comment, because I have one more thing to add to this. And that is that uh, the diocese of Long Island, uh, what, what diocese is that, Ralph? Is that, is it? Rockville Center. Rockville Center. Okay. Um, does not have the records of, who the priests were after Father Pecoraro. And if they do, they won't tell you who it is, because I asked them. So there is, in my mind, there is no doubt, there is no doubt, I don't want to say there's a cover-up, but there is definitely, an, or at one time there was an acknowledgement in that diocese that something happened and that either an exorcism was either talked about or an exorcism was attempted and, and maybe it didn't work. But there's something that they know that I guess we'll never know. And the only clue that we have is the fact that we do know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Father Pecoraro, was a, was a priest, that Father Pecoraro was called to that house on three different occasions. He went and blessed it once. He went there a second time, and he couldn't get in because he couldn't get out of his car. He went there a third time to go drag the Lutzes out of the house and tell them to get in their car and run. So we know that he, he was there and he went to the house. That has never set right in my, in my mind to me. Where did this priest go? And it's like uh, Ralph and I talked about. It's like, Mike, the church doesn't like to talk about exorcisms. They sent him somewhere to never be heard from again. True. The second thing that's always bothered me about this case when Ralph and I were investigating it, and that's this, Sean. Uh -huh. We know from the neighbors, we have eyewitness accounts, and I can't believe no one ever got this before because all you got to do is go get the microfiche for uh, copies of the New York Times and then go to uh, 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 New York Channel 4 television, watch the live broadcast, the, 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 the television interviews that were conducted the day of October the 14th when the bodies were discovered and the coroner was there, and then the story that was written about it in the New York Times, because there are several where the DeFeo name will pop up. 
Um, it can't be. It can, there, there can be absolutely no doubt about this. And Ed Warren even said it uh, on several occasions. Senior DeFeo, Ronald DeFeo Sr., there is no doubt he went to the oratory of St. Uh, uh, Michael. He went to the oratory or St. Joseph, oratory of St. Joseph in Montreal. And he went, I called the gift shop and they sell a, a statue that is exactly as the neighbors described. He bought a box of statues. St. Joseph statues. He talked to whoever the priest was that was there, and he was successful in getting someone. So that is from the uh, the Order of the Holy Cross. He was successful in getting someone from the Order of the Holy Cross to come to that house and do something. So there's no doubt in my mind that DeFeo Sr. knew something evil was in that house, and he called upon the mighty terror of demons St. Joseph to get rid of it, but apparently it didn't work. Well, that's why he put up um, religious statues all over the house, correct? I mean, that's when they put up the signs that high hopes, and the, I mean, if, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, well... He it, had a statue out in front of the house. Right, right. Uh, R- Ralph, we, 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 we got an enhanced photograph of that. I'm almost certain that's a sacred heart of, of our Lord statue, not a St. Joseph. Uh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I blew it up, and I uh, enhanced it and sharpened it a bit. It looks like, and there was a second photo that was taken. Uh, look, we, we did a, a, a thorough, we got to make a movie out of this. Um, but my, my, my thing is, why wouldn't, if St. Joseph was invoked, and of course, you know, I know, I know Rouse going to say, well, Mike, that's just part of God's plan, I guess. But the terror of demons was invoked. You know, Sean, it's one of the most shocking things I've ever seen on television that wasn't shocking to anyone. Channel 4 went and interviewed one of the neighbors, and she said, talked about Mr. DeFeo, and she said, well, you know, about six months ago, he started handing out statues of St. Joseph to all the neighbors. And I'm going like, warning, warning, (laughs) Will Robinson. I mean, strange. that to me right there says that Elder DeFeo knew, and he knew that only a religious, uh, there was only, the, the, the only response to this would be a religious response. That's what I take away from it. Well, well, it's like very Ralph possible was that he wasn't—he wasn't spiritually, uh, you know, he wasn't spiritually in a good place to take on what was in that house, right? Uh, you know, and that's probably the only explanation I have. And uh, you know, Father Pecoraro, for whatever reasons, didn't get a chance to uh, to do what should have been done in that house. And you know, a lot of priests are—they're under the uh, misinformation that. In order to uh, do an exorcism, a minor exorcism in a home, they need permission of the local ordinary, their their, their bishop, and that's not correct. Um, they don't need permission from their local bishop to uh, bless a home. So they wouldn't need uh, that permission to perform an exorcism in a home. That is specifically uh, and narrowly directed towards solemn exorcism, solemn uh, a solemn exorcism is a, an exorcism over a person. That's a totally different ball game that we're talking about here. So, for whatever reasons, I don't believe that there was any kind of exorcism ever performed in that house uh, by anyone. There might have been blessings. There might have been prayers. I believe there might have even been a mass set, which would suffice with maybe a low-level demon. But I don't believe we're dealing. 
uh, with anything that's a low level. I believe that there is a devil in that house, uh, at least. One of the things that they may have gotten, uh, and they may have just stumbled on it, on it, I have a theory that the Holy Ghost doesn't ask for permission uh, when, he's, when, when he wants to make, when he wants to communicate something through someone that is otherwise fallen, like an actor or a director uh, or has no interest in the faith whatsoever, that the Holy Ghost can still go, uh, you think you're going to, you think you're going to slander me and my Lord? Here, give me your pen or give me your computer. Watch this. Um, one of the things that they may have gotten right uh, in the film, they may have gotten it right by accident, is was the portrayal. I mean, it's all over that film that there was some sort of demonic evil that's in that house. So, Sean, you, you've been dealing with, uh, with, with similar cases. What do you think? Well, I wanted to also mention, too, because you guys were discussing Ron DeFeo Sr., which obviously Ralph had mentioned prior as well, um, you got to think about this man's moral compass. I mean, the level of physical and verbal abuse that this man was involved with towards his children. Mm. And I mean, I, we don't know how the, all the truths to all the, the possibilities of, with his ties to the mob. I mean, there's talks of a murder or mob hits that may have been taking place in the basement or having Ron uh, Jr. help bury bodies involved with the mob. Now, if there's any of truth to any of that or just just the verbal or physical abuse alone would negate any sort of spirituality or closeness to God that he was claiming to try and do to get rid of the house because he was so caught up in his own emotional dysfunctions um, of the whole turmoil of the family, what they were experiencing on a every level possible. Too little, too late, in other words. Yeah. Yep. I mean, would you agree, Ralph? Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, you know, you, you cannot... You cannot live in a state of mortal sin and go up against the demonic. Uh, you know, there, there's even, uh, there's even, you know, is it possible that a person in a state of mortal sin, do their prayers actually reach the ears of God in a state like that? You know, they've set themselves up as an enemy of God. Once you commit one mortal sin, you set yourself up as an enemy of God, and your soul no longer belongs to God. It belongs to the devil, actually. Whether you believe in him or not, you know, uh, whether you care or not, doesn't matter. It's just your soul has to belong to someone. It belongs to God, but if you, through your free will and your intention, your intention is your free will, you, you, you giving it to the enemy of God, then, you know, how could you actually expect anything from God at that point without, uh, you know, seeking redemption first before you ask. Uh, so, you know, being in a state of grace is paramount to anyone uh, on this earth, but even more so uh, for somebody who actually is dealing on a, a, a very direct level with the devil and his demons uh, in whatever form. You know, you need that spiritual protection in order to be uh, successful in in battling the devil. Now, uh, finally, because we've gone uh, we've gone just about uh, to our time length here, um, let's talk just a little bit about this case that uh, you guys covered on the Demon Files. Um, and I don't want to give the ending away, so there was a tragedy involved at the very, very t end of this story. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. It's a tragedy. Sean, you were in that house with Ralph. Now I rewatched the episode just last week after Ralph and I uh, did our, our, or two weeks ago after Ralph and I did our last show. I went back and rewatched it. Then I went back and listened to the interviews. Uh, there was two 
that I did with Ralph. I did one with Kane, Kane Adis. So when I went back and listened to what I uh, uh, to what Kane had told me. Um, in this particular house, and in the episode that I'm calling Lizard Lizard on the Wall, um, <clears throat> this is another one of these things where people got to be really careful when you're moving into a new house, or even if you go to a garage sale, or I should say moving into a used house, even if you go to a garage sale and you pick up an item that may be attractive to you or whatever, uh, and because it's old and, or whatnot, um, there, oh, there's a possibility that there could, that any one of those in either instance could be a contact object. Um, I believe that the mirror in question now, Ralph, uh, you gave it to some, somebody, uh, he's, he, he, uh, he's, Got it locked up or whatever in some kind of like a the Warrens uh, uh, occult museum. I sent, it, I sent it to John's office, who is uh, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren's nephew, and he has a museum in Connecticut. So instead of us driving over a bridge and me throwing it out the window and having a chance of some cop seeing me do it, <laughs> I sent it up to John, and I says, "Here, put this in your museum," and and that's where that went. But you know that that was just that was like a dollar ninety nine Walmart mirror that you wouldn't have even been able to sell at a flea market. It was just sitting there. Uh, but that was not my focus. I was focusing on the dresser. Um, I wanted to know dresser because of the information that I had gotten from the family prior to investigating. I didn't know if I was dealing with an old problem or a new problem. Meaning, I didn't know if this demon was connected to the family or connected to the location, because I was getting information that there was phenomenon also going on at times in in the uh, in another house, the son's house. So um, I wanted to know about the dresser, and then that mirror just happened to uh, it seemed to have called me for some reason, and I and I looked at it, and I felt that. Uh, you know, very strongly that it, it had a connection to this particular case, but I didn't know what at the time. And it was through Sean's psychic ability when he came up to me and said, I, I have the taste of crushed pills in my mouth, that uh, it was almost like a light bulb went on over my head that, oh, that's the connection that I need with that mirror right there is the pills. So, um, you know, through a little further investigation, we found out that that was correct. So, you know, that's the way cases go. You have to go in there with that open mind and, and get glean the information that you're getting from the environment, from the house itself, and from the people. Sean, uh, if, just describe for the audience. Now, you're gonna, folks, you're going to hear all this. When we do the uh, when the Deliverance from Evil tapes this episode, Lizard Lizard on the Wall comes out, and then you'll you'll know why I call it Lizard Lizard on the Wall after you hear it. Uh, the crushed pills in your mouth. This is during the the preliminary part of the investigation before the religious provocation. Correct? Is that right? It was like during it, yeah. right, Ralph? Or was no, it during? It was after. It was. It was after. Oh, it was after, oh, after. religious okay. provocation. Okay. Yeah. Now, there's a reason why crushed pills in the mouth is significant. Sean, you want to tell them? 
Well, yeah, I mean, like, out of nowhere, I mean, obviously we have certain tastes that we <laughs> um, experience in our life, and literally what I tasted, like, as if, like, I crunched on, a, like, a bunch of Tylenol, like, that nasty, bitter taste out of nowhere. It was very profound, and that's why I mentioned it to Ralph, and then, obviously, right after that occurred, we went to, you know, um, Leanne, and she said that's the mirror that she was looking into while she threw down all those pills, and obviously that was significant for what Ralph was leading towards that mirror being connected to the whole situation. And I know that we, um, we were talking about me and like, you know, praying for souls and that whole scene that unfolded in that room was kind of, um, why that thing was coming at me. It did not like what I was doing because I was on that bed. I believe that that other alleged boy that committed, committed suicide as well. I believe his spirit was there. And what I was doing when I was that on that bed, I was trying to acknowledge this boy that may be trapped to cross over and, and go into heaven. And I was starting to, you know, pray for him. And as soon as I was beginning to do that is when I saw this, like this just red anomaly, like right in front of the bed. And I started getting the clairvoyant um, imagery of what this thing looked like. And that's, you know, that's when the window drape shook violently and the whole ball of energy came right at the screen. Um, you know, and that thing did not want me to do that. I mean, it already had a soul. Um, and it, it wanted um, her as well. Um, it seemed to be, you know, what I was perceiving at the time. <clears throat> it's a very powerful uh, episode, and they made it. I don't think it was the first one you guys taped, but they made it episode one mm -hmm. of the Demon. Well, actually, Fund. it was. It was actually it was episode two. Oh, was it? But it was the last case that we investigated. Uh, well, I, I wanted the. Um, I wanted the uh, the Shula case, the uh, Nixon, Missouri case, shown last because of the way that case actually unfolded, and um, you know I wanted to show the uh, the two families uh, up front, but in all actuality, the uh, the Pennsylvania case was the last case that we investigated. And as I said, folks, it does not end uh, doesn't does not end well. Sean, when does a Shadow Chaser when Shadow Chaser come out? I'm sorry, the uh, sequel to the sequel to Shadow Chaser. Oh, I'm still working on it. Um, I'm still there's a bunch of stories I got to add to it, but I'm hoping within the next year I'll be able to release it. Now, is this a case by case study or is this a this is a demonology and review? Um, these are like experiences that I've gone through, just okay. like cases that were very, you know, profound to me and, um, you know, the things that have lingered with me. Um, there's actually one pretty um, <clears throat> crazy story that I'm, you know, probably the biggest story in the book is involving a, a girl that was actually possessed while she was pregnant. And actually, Ralph knows a little bit about that case. And that's another story that did not end in a great fashion either. And it's always a shame when you hear that. But sometimes uh, we... Uh, uh, we don't use our free will properly. <laughs> and no, and that's that's why it's so important to to get these stories out there because when you hear about these terrible things that people go through and they use their free will and their judgment to get themselves involved in in dark magic or messing around with things that invites these dark entities into our lives to have permission to cause chaos for us and every loved one around us. It's it's very it's important for us to share it with the world. Even if we save one person or a million people, we're still doing what we can with the experiences that we have um, to turn something dark and into something light. Well, uh, it's been an hour and, uh, and nine minutes of deliver us from evil, evil.
guys. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you uh, both of you very much. I, I just uh, a quick parting question. Uh, my brother called me the other day. He and I were talking, and he, and we're getting ready to hang up. And he's my little brother. He lives in Virginia, and I live here in Louisiana. And we're getting ready to hang up. And he goes, oh, oh Mike, Mike, one more thing. He goes, I don't know if you're into this or not, but <clears throat> this will be the second time that we've done this. But my friends, and he mentions two guys that I know that are his friends, and I are going to Kentucky, and they're going to West Virginia, and they're going into a sanitarium that's been shut down. But now they've reopened part of it back up to do, you know where I'm going with this, ghost tours. And he said he went in there last time, and the freakiest sort of stuff was happening. And you know, he invited me to go, and I went, uh, you don't know what you're dealing with. Don't ever go back in that place again. And, of course, my brother is, is about as far away from being a practicing Catholic as is humanly possible. Um, so I left him with that. If anyone is out there flirting with a similar idea, what would you tell him? I mean, me personally, me or Sean? Either one of you, both of you, both of you. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll say you don't really want to hear quickly. what I got to say. <laughs> um, I, I think it's really important to know. I mean, there's risks involved if you decide to get involved with the paranormal field. We have our free will. Um, not to be religiously, I mean, not to have a faith foundation in getting involved in stuff. You have, that's what I did. I mean, obviously we all get involved for different reasons, but you know, when we go and do these things, we, some of us learn the hard way. I mean, I was oppressed by an evil spirit at the beginning of my, um, you know, journey into the paranormal, but I, I do believe that God let me experience that for a reason so I could become more aware of what people go through so I can be more relatable to people that are going through that psychological attacks that these evil entities can do. But, you know, I always let people know, just like, that's up to you what you want to do. There are risks involved. I mean, it can be very dangerous and delicate um, what you're getting yourself involved with. And that's why I try to present to people, you know, uh, an approach of how I approach things from a genuine intent perspective so they can and have a strong faith foundation so they won't be attacked. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> Ralph's going to be like, <laughs> go ahead, Ralph. All right, Ralph. Yeah, but, you know, I'm going to... What Sean said is actually 100% correct, and I, I concur with him um, 100%. But the, the, the sin element of doing that is what I'm more interested in, because you can go into these locations and not have any kind of problems ever, but you've, you've added a sin into your life of actually doing what God commands us not to do, and that is to communicate with the dead and to communicate with spirits. It is a sinful behavior. Uh, and, and most of the times it's uh, people are doing this out of curiosity, uh, which doesn't make it any less sinful, um, because it opens you up to certain things and God does not want us to do those types of things. And it's the sin element that I'm, I'm more interested in because, you know, uh, at the end of your life, you know, you're going to go to one of two places. One's real nice, and the other one is real bad, and that's up to you where you end up. And playing with this stuff, uh, you know, uh, there's not a good outcome to it. All right. That's pretty much what I thought that you would say. Uh, he is Ralph Sarchi, and uh, the other gentleman is Sean Austin. Ralph, uh, with the movie and the book, Deliver Us From Evil. Sean has a book out called Shadow Chaser. Uh, Sean, are you on any uh, TV shows other than The Demon Files? 
Uh, not as of right now, but possibly some new projects coming in the new year. Well, it, it's not like they have a shortage of this paranormal stuff on uh, the <laughs> uh, on those cable channels. Uh, Travel America, Destination America, the History Channel, you, you name them, uh, the, uh, sci-fi. Uh, they have an entire series that they have on Amazon Prime uh, that I don't recommend anyone watch. Uh, they're, they're, they're Number one, they're not very well made, and these people pretty much do the opposite of what Ralph and Sean just did. Um, so, But there's a lot of that stuff out there. Uh, <clears throat> just thought I'd ask. Guys, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Sounds good to me, Mike. Okay. Well, thank you, and God, God bless you both. I feel like now I need to go to confession just to make sure that. <laughs> you can't go wrong. No, you, you can't go wrong with a good confession. Just to ensure, <laughs> right? All right. Put that on a T-shirt and wear that proud. All right, I like it. Can't go wrong with a good confession. All right, Sean Austin, Ralph Sarchi. Uh, thank you both, gentlemen. God bless you. God bless, God bless you. Thank you, thank you for having us.